Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi, uh, I'm James A. Feltz, Spartan Six. I'm a Christian, husband, father, son, and a mentor and a story guide. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Joint Task Force 214 and co-host of Lounge with Legends. I'm humbled and honored to be on the Inspired Leadership Series and have the opportunity to introduce one of the one and only Jonathan Bowman Perks. So here's Jonathan. <laughs> James, you are a star. It's so lovely to have you. And uh, I was very honored to be on the Lounge with Legends podcast and also TV program that you have uh, that you did with Marty. And, and I said to you guys, I definitely want you on the Inspiring Leadership Series. And so here you are. We've had Marty. And now I'm delighted to have James A. Feltz, Spart call sign Spartan 6. Now, you've had a, a great life already and you're only in your mid 40s you've done an awful lot you've done so many different things we'll talk about that in a minute but james would you begin by just telling us what you're doing now you're involved in a number of things now would you just tell us a bit about what you're doing right now and then we'll go back to early childhood absolutely so first off thanks again humbled and honored to be here um i cannot say that enough um but you know just a blessing to be alive and that, that you know just to have be in your presence today I'm uh, so humbled and honored. So yeah, right now, uh, Marty and I, we're, uh, we started uh, our business, Joint Task Force 214, and we're a digital marketing company. And more than that, we actually help veterans, you know, how veterans struggle to, you know, communicate, or even veteran business owners struggle to communicate their message and tell people what it is they actually do. Well, that's what we do. We're Joint Task Force 214. We help you clarify your message through the power of story so people will listen. And when people listen, that'll increase your revenue, your overall social media influence, and then the ultimate result, they'll spend more money. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way of looking at it. And I, I love that. So, so there's so much you're doing right now, but also let's go back to the very beginning, you know, upbringing and who influenced you, some events that happened that shaped you into the leader you are today, James. Well, I think, you know, we, you and I have similar past and Marty, you know, we all come from a military family. I'm actually third generation military. My grandfather, my grandmother, my uncle, my father, all their cousins, we're all military. I, you know, my father was, a, I'm, a, I'm an Air Force brat. So I was uh, surrounded by it. I was uh, fortunate enough to be uh, born into a military family. Um, and my father did 30 years at, in the Air Force as a chief master sergeant. So between my mother and him, that's really where I be, that's where my leadership and that's where uh, my mannerisms and my the way I think that's where it was developed. Yeah, that, that's great. And um, I, I also noticed just the you know, you had General Stan McChrystal on the other day and I, I love him, love his books. And uh, I'm just halfway through listening to Risk at the moment, which I'm really enjoying and having uh, told so many people to listen to his book, uh, Team of Teams which uh, was very profound. Um, you were very respectful with him, and it was hilarious when he, and he went, yes, sir, 
I don't know. Don't keep calling me, sir. Call me Stan. Yes, sir. <laughs> and you, you got to remember, Jonathan, you know, my father was an NCO. My dad, yeah. to this day, it was ingrained in my, my head at a young age. Everyone is sir and ma'am, period. It doesn't matter. It's not about the age. You know, now that I'm older, you know, it worked better for me when I was younger, obviously. But now that I'm older, I'll talk, I'll be talking to uh, my daughter's boyfriend came over. I said, yes, sir. And he's like, I will, you know, it felt a little awkward. I'm like, look, it's a sign of respect. It's it's not about the age. It's a sign of respect. And, you know, you're speaking to uh, General Stan McChrystal. Here's the thing. No matter what, the only other interaction I had with him prior to that, uh, prior to that big, you know, interview that we had with him was as a young second lieutenant where he said, turn that light switch on. I said, air bone. And I turned the light switch down. Oh, so that was the only other time I ever had an opportunity to actually speak with him. But it's great that you're mentioning him because, you know, I'm, I'm challenging myself in front of, uh, in all your, uh, your viewers that I'm going to get him on your, your podcast. They, the world needs to see him on your show. They definitely do. He, he is a great inspiration. And many of the, uh, special forces and military guys uh, from Britain who have been on the show, loved him and worked with him. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, you would so, have an amazing conversation with oh, him. you guys. Yeah, it would be, yeah. it would just be so, you know, I, during that conversation, if you noticed and watched the episode, Marty did 99.9% of the communication for both of, for he and I. And the reason why was I was sitting there the entire time taking notes. That's <laughs> what I do. I'm the guy that when you come into the room, I was taught by my dad. He said, look, you don't want to be the the person that's always talking and you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. So I'm the, I'm the one that's back there taking notes and being quiet, but taking it all in. Yeah. What was that? What's that all saying? If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, I haven't, I've, I've definitely been in the right room a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So growing up um, military background at Royal Air Force with, with dad as a, as a master sergeant in the, in the U S air force. Um, and all those those um, third generations that you had um, early on, what, what kind of experiences did you have before? And I know you were a florist and I also know you sell, sold shoes before you went into the military. But uh, what other experiences happened in that in that period of time before you joined the military? Well, you know, for me, those experiences would have to go even back to when I was born. You know, my first language, I, you know, I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, at Barksdale Air Force Base. And, you know, my mother's from uh, South Korea. So right. I'm half Korean. And my dad is from Louisville, Kentucky. So, you know, he's he he's from the, uh, you know, he's basic. They're, they're on totally different ends of the perspective. It's like weird. So, and then they came together, got married. And then, of course, I came along. But, you know, that's really where, you know, my struggles and where my, you know, dealings with myself began. And, you know, I always go back to the, to the beginning because my first language was Korean. Yeah. Wow. So I was fluent Korean. I spoke Korean up until I was five years old. And then what happened was, and I don't mind sharing this, but, you know, at one point I was ashamed of it. And what happened was I was in Denver, Colorado. I was at a private school and I was in kindergarten and I could remember going to school and, you know, speaking English better at that point, but still knowing Korean. Um, and then the kids making fun of me. And what happened was I can remember what they said to me to this day. It's, you know, I'm 40 some years old. Like I told you, I'm not at the club. So I have to tell you I'm 40, actually tell you my real age, 46. But, you know, the bottom line is I went to school and the kids 
had such an impact on me uh, at that time at the young age that lasted with me up until my age now. I don't speak Korean now. And wow. the re- I directly put it back to this. But what they told me was Chinese, Japanese coconut trees. I don't know why that stuck in my head. And I don't know why it's always been ingrained in my head. But for the longest time, I was in a personal struggle with myself, with identity. And when I would see myself in the mirror, I didn't see exactly who was there. It's, it's, wow. it, it's, it's one of those experiences. No, that that is profound. And I I, my, my heart goes out to you because I think uh, as I grew up, I struggled about it. I wasn't particularly, um, well, what they call us now, I just joined a, um, an institution called the Institution of Neurodiversity and I was neurodiverse, I am. In other words, dyslexic and dyscalculia numbers. And, and But I just was told I was thick. And so I believed that for a long time. And even when people told me, no, you're really clever. I go, no, no, I'm thick because it's my label. And, and yeah, I was bullied at school as well. And, and it stays with you all your life. Um, mm-hmm. So I really do feel for you, particularly over this thing about diversity and inclusion and equality, that that was just the antithesis of everything that I believe and stand for. Must have been so hard with that, that, that battle over who am I? Am I Korean? Am I American? Am I an American Korean? Um, and I imagine your mother would have faced some racism as well as, as you. Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 you know, looking back on it now that I have, you know, the wisdom that I have now, because knowledge, you know, after the years you grow your knowledge and you're filling your kit bag with all these experiences. Looking back, I can, you know, honestly say there were some bad decisions that I made just because of, you know, the bullying, you know, and those labels, it's so important that we remember, you know, I have young children. I have a young daughter now. I'm a girl dad. So I have three daughters and um, it's so important. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing being a girl dad. Um, but, you know, it, it's so important to remember the, that words do matter. You know, we, we always talk, you know, what you say does matter to other people because people take things personally. And when you take things personally, that's where the trouble and the struggle begins uh, for myself. It, 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 be, it was so powerful that when I would go home to speak with my mother, I would refuse to speak Korean to her. It was mm. it was that strong. Now, as an adult, I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? What kind of what kind of opportunities would have been there for me as a you know bilingual Korean uh, being able to speak Korean fluently and English? Now, obviously, I do understand Korean. Like if somebody's speaking Korean to me, I know what they, they're saying. Um and then, of course, all with all these apps and phones now, you can you can uh, communicate back. But, you know, it's just it's one of those things and you know, one of those struggles that you had to deal with. And, you know, luckily, I had some amazing parents. You know, I grew up in an amazing family. I'm the only child. I was spoiled rotten. Um, and they took so great care of me. And, you know, those kind of experiences are good. So I don't want to you know focus on the negative Mo- no. for the majority. Ninety nine percent of my childhood childhood was amazing. You know, I yeah. had two parents. They're still married. They still live together in South Carolina. Now they still treat me as if I was that five-year-old boy. Uh, still take care of me. And I'm, you know, I couldn't ask for any more. I couldn't ask for better parents. No. Uh, and, and, and that's lovely. And it's really important. And so take us from when you first joined the army, all the, just almost do a little whistle-stop tour of different tours and places that you went to. Just uh, run us through them. Absolutely. Well, first off, I wasn't supposed to be in the army. I was supposed to be in the air force. Um, when I, what happened was my mother, um, she was very strict. She says, you're going to be a fighter pilot or an attorney. 
And that's what she told me when I was growing up. So my whole life, I thought I was going to be either an Air Force fighter pilot or an attorney. Well, neither one of those happened. So the year that I uh, applied for the Air Force, uh, AF, I took the AFOQT test, which is their their version of uh, officer test to see if you qualify and see what skill set you would fit in in the Air Force. I did well on the exam, but they had 500 too many applicants. So they said, hey, you did great. Unfortunately, um, we can't accept you. So as I was leaving with my head down, there's this sergeant, Master Sergeant John Tory, And I'll never forget this voice. He goes, hey, come over here. And he was in the army. He said, I got something for you. And basically he said, you want to be an airborne ranger? I said, airborne. And then the next thing from that point forward, that's how I joined the military. So I initially, uh, that, that summer, I went to basic training at Fort Knox, Kentucky. And then I came back, uh, joined uh, the North Carolina National Guard and was a, a SMP candidate. So basically I was uh, simultaneous membership with ROTC and the North Carolina National Guard at the same time. So while I was going to college and in the ROTC program, I was also serving in the National Guard. Um, and that began in, oh my God, I'm going to date myself, in 1997. That's when I started. Yeah. Um, so fast forward to 1999, May uh, 15th, 1999, I received my commission as a second lieutenant in the uh, United States Army. Uh, I was branched uh, 11 Alpha, which is an infantry officer. Um, but forward thinking to appease my mother, I, I said, well, let me pick a a branch also that was going to uh, uh, mean something on the outside. So I also was a 25 alpha, a signal officer. So I, I went in as an 11 alpha branch detail, 25 alpha. Right. And, and um, then, and then tell us about 82nd airborne. Yeah. So um, I was assigned uh, to 82nd. I was a uh, second three, two, five Bravo company. Um, before I got there though, no one told me and gave me the memo that I was going to spend a year of my life down at Fort Benning, Georgia. So when I graduated, um, uh, college, I went to the university of North Carolina, Pembroke. I, um, I joined and I, I, I volunteered to go to anywhere, but North Carolina, go figure my luck. They, they're going to say, Hey, I joined to see the world. No, you're going to go here to the Fort Bragg, which was like 45 minutes away from the college that I went to. So I was like, you gotta be kidding me. But anyway, um, in 1999, I went down to Fort Benning and went through all those high-speed schools, airborne school, ranger school, uh, infantry officer basic course. And then that's what finally got me to uh, the 82nd. And I was assigned as a rifle platoon leader um, there at uh, Bravo 2nd 325. Yeah, fantastic. And it, it's, it's an experience that never leaves you, isn't it? that, that uh, you're very proud of the service you've done. Looking back on my life, as far as military service, that was the best time in my life mm -hmm. as far, by far, you know, being a rifle platoon leader. And at that time I could go through a brick wall. I'm telling you mentally, physically, I could go through that wall and I knew that it, I could do it. There was no doubt, you know, every, all those doubts as a child, uh, you know, of, you know, you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, that other people, not my family, that other people were telling me, I, I was able to prove them wrong. Uh, a lot of individuals um, went to those same schools that I did, and they didn't have the same results that I did. Because, um, you know, my, my idea when I went into the military was it's going to be 20 years or bust. Uh, I, was, I was a lifer, right? But, it's fun, you know, we'll fast forward, but things don't always work out the way uh, that you plan them. 
But uh, by far the best time of my life in the military was uh, a, a rifle platoon leader at uh, Bravo 2nd 325. Yeah. And, and you also were a company commander later on. And I was. Were, uh, yeah. And you were absolutely. a st- state trooper as well in South Carolina. Uh, North Carolina, but yeah, North I was Carolina. a North Carolina State Trooper. Uh, so in 2003, 2004, I became a North Carolina State Trooper. I did that for one year. Um, it's it's weird how you know when you're when you're in the military, typically a lot of us we we follow the path of least least resistance, you know. And to me, what made sense, I wanted to live a life of service. I still wanted to wear a uniform, and I wanted to give back to uh, to my society and my community. So to me, it made perfect sense to join the North Carolina National or the North Carolina uh, Highway Patrol. So I went to another 10-month uh, grueling school, abusing my body, uh, and then finally graduated that and became a state trooper and did that for a year and then resigned from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you've had a lot of different experiences. You know, you've been a, I think they call it a, a, a civilian contractor. Um, I think at Army Reserves, you were in GS-11, which is a civilian worker. You had a whole load of experiences. What all these different experiences have given you? What would you reckon looking back at your learning from it all? For me, the biggest, the, the reasons, well, you know, I, I don't know anybody else. I have never met anyone that's had the same journey. And obviously, you're not going to have the same journey as anyone else. But I don't know anyone that's ever was on active duty, was in the National Guard, in the reserves, and then worked for the Department of the Army as a civilian. The reason why I did that, looking back on it, I understand why. It was because I was missing that spree de corps. I missed, I missed that belonging. And by being, you know, in the Guard, the Reserves, and the Department of Defense, I could still get that uh, feeling, that sense of, you know, I'm part of something bigger than myself. So that's really why that st- stayed with me up until actually last uh, two years ago uh, is yeah. when I retired from the Reserves. Yeah. And you, you served also in, if I pronounce it correctly, Iraq um, or Iraq. And um, uh, what was your learning from service there? Because that was that was tough, wasn't it? It, it, it was. And I mean, you know, we, you know, we, that's a bond that you and I both have as far as experience, you know, combat experience. But, you know, for that, it was about, you know, I came aboard and I went as a North Carolina National Guard uh, company commander. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened was I. I came to the unit thinking that, you know, honestly, being transparent, I joined the National Guard thinking I'd never deploy. I thought those days were behind me. Um, and little did I know that I was going to find this little 18-month deployment on the back end, but it was all through the National Guard. And that deployment there taught me how important family is. Um, and for me, you know, one of the, it's one of the highlights in my life but it's also one of the darkest times in my life as well. Uh, I was away from my daughters for 18 months. And, you know, I tell people in whatever show or whatever podcast, whoever's speaking with me, one of the things I tell people is you can never get back time. And that guilt being away from my daughters still haunts me today. I I feel like I can never get that time back. Um, I came back from an 18 month appointment my middle daughter, Taylor, she was born five days before I left. So when I came back, she was almost two years old and didn't want to have anything to do with me. It, it was it was a very gut-wrenching, you know, four years of my life because I blamed myself. I said, you know, I should have, should have not gone into the National Guard. I should have just re- re- retired when I left active duty. You know, I'm, I'm a terrible father. 
uh, I could do so much better. And, you know, to this day, I'm still trying to make up for those 18 months that I lost with them. So one of the tips someone gave me, which has served um, people I've coached well in the intervening times, is to do a little exercise. Imagine, not imagine, go and do this. Take a, a backpack, one of your little army rucksacks you've probably got. I bet you've got one still. And, and put some pebbles, smooth pebbles in it and take a big marker pen. All right. And on that, write all the things that you're guilty about. Like I wasn't I was an absent dad. I wasn't there for them. I I should have done this. I should have done. all the things that you're carrying as a guilt, a burden in your pack and carry it to a large lake or a, a bit of water or a river somewhere which is wide and deep, even a sea. And take out the pebbles one by one. In fact, empty the rucksack onto the ground and take the pebbles and fucking lob them as far as you can go. And go sod off and just throw it as far as you can out and watch them sink with the words absent father, all it is. Watch it sink deep into the water. It's never coming back. It's gone. And then take that empty pack with you back home because you've been carrying that rucksack with those weighty pebbles and it's not serving you. It, it's not helping the family. You won't get that time back. That's happened. Get rid of it because it's an it's a burden you're carrying, and you want to be lighter to be able to carry other burdens that are going to come and face you. You you you. It was what happened. You can't change that. So go go and do that exercise for me, James, and drop me a note when you've done it. All right. I will. I took notes on it. I'm you know you know me. I'm taking notes. I know. I know. I know you'll do it. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about, because that was a dark moment. Let's talk about your proudest moment and your darkest moment in your life and what you learned from those two imposters. So I would say, you know, my, my proudest moment um, and everything, it's, 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 it's weird, I guess, but for me, it goes back to the military again. So my proudest moment for myself would be um, when I got commissioned as a second lieutenant. And I'll tell you the reason why I was so proud. Um, my father was a non-commissioned officer and here in, uh, the military, we have a custom in, in America in the USA that, you know, your first salute, you give a silver dollar to that NCO on that first salute. And, you know, I can remember it like it was yesterday. It was, you know, May, May of 1999. And I, I, I went in there, I got, I was getting commissioned that day. And I remember my dad showed up in uniform. He was still in, he was still uh, a chief master sergeant. So he was in uniform as well. And it was very intimate. You know, we had this big graduation ceremony and then we came into our a room, a really small room with just the ROTC cadets, my cadre, my family. And my dad comes up and, and he saluted me. And to this day, it tears me up because that, that there was, you know, <laughs> that was the moment that, hey, I did it. You know, I did something. I did something. And a lot of people don't ever have that opportunity with their father. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this, you know, this is something. And to see him cry back, it was just, it was powerful. Sorry, I get choked up thinking about it. But um, that was my proudest moment. <laughs> James, you, you choked me up. I'm crying too. Because that to give your silver dollar to your father. Very special. And I wish when I got commissioned as a second lieutenant that my father, who was a fleet air arm, fast jet pilot, was still alive because I could have saluted him. 
but of course, sadly, he was killed at 33, and and you're way past that age now. Um, but uh, it, it it's very special that, and and I felt that. I, I and and never lose that. That's so special. Very, <laughs> moments moments you can be deeply proud of. Uh, I, I really feel that. And then what about um, darkest moments in your life or your career and what you learned from that? So those darkest, the darkest moment would go back to, you know, we'd spoken briefly about it, uh, you know, earlier with, with my daughters and I am going to do what you said with the, the, the rucksack and the pebbles, but um, you know, coming back and looking at, you know, an infant, not even a toddler yet, an infant and them saying, or, you know, basically for the next two years saying that they don't want to have anything to do with you and cry in your presence for no reason. Um, that was the darkest moment. And then through that darkest moment, it was about a two year extent consecutively, you know, where I, you know, I didn't even feel um, like leaving my house. So I, I, I stayed, I stayed in my house for, I, you know, I locked myself in the house for two years, didn't even leave my house other than to go to, you know, to drill or to go to work. Um, and even going to work became started to become a struggle. Um, and then, you know, luckily through battle buddies, you know, ranger buddies, reaching back out to them and, you know, telling and sharing my story with them, those folks, not the counselors, you know, I have nothing against counselors. I went to counseling and they, they couldn't relate to me. And the reason why they couldn't relate to me, they didn't know me. They tried to get to know me, but it was that phone call from like Steve Dubuque, you know, Chad Mixon, Marty Martinez, those kind of conversations is what brought me out. And that's what I tell folks, you know, especially as veterans, and you can relate to this, we're all going to go through dark times. We are, it's going to happen. But the beauty of the dark times is there's always the lights coming. There's always that switch. There's always, it's always going to be followed by the light. You know, I just thought of general McChrystal, he even told yeah. me, turn that light on Lieutenant. I follow. Yeah. Air bomb. So, you know, the thing is it, during those dark times, you find a, a mentor, someone that can get in that struggle, that darkness with you and pull you out. Someone that's been there before. And that's what we're passionate about now. That's why we started Joint Task Force 214. That's why we're, Marty and I are doing what we're doing. Uh, when we talk about people, we're, we're actually lifting them up from our experiences. I'm, I'm, I'm an open kimono. You know, I share everything, uh, sometimes too much. And then, um, but at the end of the day, you know, we just, we're just here to, you know, help one person a day. And that's what I'm trying to do now. No, and, and you are in a, in a major way. And also you've linked up with a mutual friend of ours um, with Stephen Kuhn and Lane Ballone. T tell us what you're doing with Stephen and Lane. So we, they just had an amazing event, have events down in Houston and the Humble Alpha Veteran Empowerment uh, Movement that they're doing for veterans and veteran, uh, the veteran entrepreneurs specifically. Uh, they partner with Street Shares. Uh, and they were able to uh, give away and held an event to give away and have a pitch contest where they had winners, the Logsa, it was Wendy and Isabella, they actually won the event. And it was last week, last weekend in Houston. Um, and it was just such an amazing event to, you know, be surrounded by like-minded individuals that are on the same mission of, you know, task and purpose of helping others. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's why, you know, Stephen and Lane are doing some amazing things. You're doing the same thing. Uh, synergy is together. And like I tell everyone, you know, service doesn't end with a contract and we can still serve one another, even though we're not in. Yeah. That's a, that's a lovely way of putting it. Now the, the James A. Phelps we've got today, 30 years ago, when you were 16, 
what bit of advice would you give yourself there about this matters, but this doesn't? What, what tip would you give to the young James? Well, you know, I would have told James back then, I said, you're good enough. You deserve the best. You are worth it. Stop trying to fit in with others and be yourself. Be comfortable in your own skin. Mm -hmm. um, if I could have heard those words to myself and, you know, I, I'm a back to the future fan. I'm a, you know, I, I watched uh, uh, back to the future several times. If I could have gotten it, if I could get into a time machine now, those are, those are the words that I would tell James back then. And then you and I would be having this conversation in Korean right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, and I do think that um, we can't change what's happened, but there's lessons for us to learn. And everything uh, that happens to us is a lesson. Everybody we meet has something to teach us, if only we'd listen. And you, I love the thing about you, James, many things, but, but you are a lifelong learner and you're hungry to learn and meet people and pass on what you learn to help others and to serve. I, I, I love that. Let's go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass, the eight components of it that make high-performing leaders and teams from the research that my wife, Lee, and I have done over the last 20 years. Um, MQ is the first one, moral quotient. So that true north, that compass that always points to the same part. Not magnetic, which moves a little bit, but true north is always true north. What, what, what are your three true north kind of values that you live by? For myself, I would say, you know, great question, obviously. And I know that's a question you always ask. The, you know, I go back to my military days and I don't know if you're familiar with FM 22100, be no do leadership. And Marty might've mentioned it uh, to you before, uh, but basically be who you say you are, know how to do what you say you can do and then go and take action and do it. Those are the things, you know, this was ingrained in our head as a, as young lieutenants, as young military officers, this is, was ingrained in our head. And, you know, the, the issue that, that most people suffer or struggle with is just be real, you know, just be honest, have integrity. Just not a, it's integrity is not just a word. It's a, it's a way of life. And then you said it before, don't stop learning and continue to be present. If you're learning, you're earning, you've heard all these things before. And, and for myself, it's, you, you gotta always do self-assessments. Uh, there's a, there's a quote that I tell myself every day. And I said it the first time in front of my company as I was standing there before we were going to deploy to Iraq. You know, you're looking at 188 soldiers and you know that you're responsible for and you see their family in the stadium and you're responsible for bringing every one of those soldiers home. You got to realize it's not about you. <laughs> it's, it's And my quote is, it's not about me. It never has been. It never will be. It needs to be about them. You position yourself as the guide. And they are the hero. They're your hero. And just position yourself as the guy. Uh, very sound advice based on practical, tough experience. And of the 188 you took with you, uh, I just want to ask you a tough question. Did you bring them all back or were some killed? I failed. I did not. I did not succeed. I, 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 it's going to sound like, well, you did a great job. Well, no, there was one. We, we lost one. So, you know, it, and honestly, there was really looking back on it, there was really nothing that I could have done or we could have done to prevent that loss. But um, I still think about her every day. Her name is Felicia Hill, Sergeant First Class Felicia Hill. And her uh, the situation with her was we she actually passed away 
coming home to America. <laughs> and, you know, on the flight, you know how you blouse your boots and you tuck your, your, your boots in um, your, <laughs> when, you, when you're on the flight. Well, because of what happened to her, she ended up having a cardiac arrest at the airport before she could see her, her, her daughter. And um, because of what happened there, there was a new policy where we were allowed to un unblouse our boots, unlace our boots during the flights because she ended up developing um, a blood clot. And it was contributed back to that long, long flight. And anyway, it's just, you know, those are the kind of situations. But for the most part, brought everyone home. Uh, but when, not only did we, you know, the struggle that I have is I brought them home physically. Yes. Yeah. But you know where I failed them? Mentally. La about six months ago, I had a, a soldier, Sergeant um, Eubanks, pass away. I went to his funeral. And at that funeral, the Spartans, we came together. I haven't seen the Spartans in 10 years. And when we saw each other, we would look at each other. We didn't see each other as we are now, overweight, gray hair, you know, whatever. I, when I saw my soldiers, I saw them how we were in Iraq. I, that's how I visually saw them. And the thing that I failed when I'm dealing with now is I left them. You know, no one left behind. I left them mentally here in the States. I got back to America and we're like, okay, we're free. We're done. And just kind of let them go four sheets to the wind. Well, one thing that I'm proud of that I've just did six months or a few months ago when he passed away is I started a Facebook group and we got a group page now and we're sharing every day. We are sharing successes and our, uh, you know, and even sharing our failures on this Facebook group page that I just really recently started. And it was my responsibility as a commander to, to make sure that they're safe on the way home too. So what I'm trying to say is in a long uh, winded way is the journey is not over at once we got back, that's yeah. really when the journey began and I, yeah. I, I left them. So now I'm getting back on track. I'm back in their lives. Uh, I'm Spartan six again. They're the ones that gave me the title Spartan six. I didn't give that self to uh, give that name to me. They gave it to me. Yeah. That's, that's really very moving. And um, a lot of people that I've served with, um, they, they develop mental health problems, or maybe they even take their lives some years after they've served um, in the forces or been on operations or been in war. And, and I imagine of that 188, there's going to be some who are going to have suffered some mental health issues and will sadly take their lives. So there's a very high percentage of ex-forces people who either end up on the street in the UK, I know this to be the case, uh, or they have drink or drugs addictions, or they look for a crutch to have that kind of camaraderie they never had because in the forces is a good support network. When they leave and they go into business, that network dissolves and, and they're on their own. Do you want to talk about that? Absolutely. I mean, and you just triggered a memory in myself of self-reflection and, you know, the thing that everyone make, we make assumptions and we think that every veteran is going to suffer the same way. Well, we're not, we're all going to suffer in, in, in our own ways. You know, you mentioned drugs and all those Obviously, I have soldiers that are dealing with those issues right now. I have soldiers that uh, haven't filed a VA claim, but now we're going to work on that, and I'm going to help them get through that process. We have soldiers that uh, that have committed suicide. I have a soldier that committed suicide, um, and then you know, just even personally, you know, some people use abuse have been abused in alcohol, drugs, or substance. Well, for me, honestly, mine was relationships. And I'm, I'm, I'm using myself an example because, you know, for me, 
I just couldn't find a lasting relationship for those that 10 year time period, or actually it's only about a six year time period. But I was going from relationship to relationship to relationship. And the reason why was I was using that as my drug. You know, I was using, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I was using women as my drug. Yeah. And it's not right. You know, I have three daughters now and I'm like, man, I, I hate that I went through that. But then I, I now that I've through that, because, you know, when you're in the moment, you don't realize what's going on and what you're dealing with. The PTS, we you know, Marty, Marty and Lamont Christian don't call it PTSD. They call it PTS. They leave the disorder part off. You know, I was dealing with my PTS and I was dealing with the best way that I knew how. And the best way that I knew how was to find that immediate interaction and satisfaction and pleasure. And then what I was finding out was at the end of the day, I would be still alone. So that's the key. When you're alone, it's not good. We're primates. We're supposed to be surrounded by family and tribes. We're supposed to be together. Uh, and, and, and I can see how the post-traumatic stress has really affected you. And, and, and I, I just want to acknowledge that and just say I wish you, wish you luck with it because it's a, a long-standing journey. And other friends of mine who've been in the forces or even the special forces have, have fought with that for some years after they left their service. Um, it, that's, a, that's a real tough one. I, I don't want to ignore that one. I just want to hold that one there. If we, if we go from uh, MQ to PQ, what gives your life meaning? Why are you doing the work you do now? What, what gives your life meaning these days? So if I'm doing what I feel like I was placed on earth to do, what God told, what God has told me to do, I'm here to inspire. You know, our job is to help others to be their best. Our job is to leave the world a little bit better than how we found it. Our job is to, be an influence when we're gone. <laughs> Those it's pretty, it's basic, but that's what we're here to do. That's what I'm here to do. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. I'm here to, you know, anything that I can do to help one person a day, one veteran a day, that's, that's why I'm here. Um, I just want to be, and I think Marty mentioned it during your episode. I want to be the father, the husband that my wife and my daughters want me to be. I want to be that person and that's what that's that's my why. That's why I do what I do. That's why, you know, and what I've found out, it's taken me several years to figure this out. Helping others in a life of service is why I'm here and what yeah. makes me happy. And, and are you now remarried, uh, James? I am. I've got a I got a beautiful wife. She's a she's a big time criminal defense attorney here in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. If you get any criminal defense, not that she she commit crimes, but if you do, she's the one to call. So well, um, there you are. There you are. You've achieved everything. What you 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 were a pilot who was not actually in the cockpit. You were in the plane jumping out of it, and now you've married the attorney. So mom will be happy, eh? She she is very happy. She's very happy. I've done everything that a child wants to do growing up. You know, join the join the army. I was a cop, and now I'm married to an attorney. <laughs> yeah, and, and they do say that um, the psychologists have a field day with us as the parents now. So watch this one. That a lot of our children's problems are caused by the unmet needs of the parents. In this case, your mom. My mom wanted me to be a general because she was going to be an admiral's wife. My father was a fast jet commanding officer and he was you know, 33 and he was already in charge of the, the squadron on board HMS Victorious. And of course, he was killed before his time and she never became an admiral's wife. 
Admiral Sir Paul and Lady Perks was how she imagined she was going to be. So she always imagined I was going to make up for it and I was going to be General Sir Jonathan. But of course, I never did that because I left the forces as a major like you did. And but but I know that she was very proud of me. And we've just got to be careful as parents ourselves now that we don't put upon our own, in your case, your three daughters, my three daughters and my son, this pressure to live our life through them. And then we've got to let live, them live their lives. Um, health quotient is the third that we're going to talk about. We've already talked about mental health and the, the struggles that you've had with mental health um, and, and how you've managed that. We've talked about a good exercise with the pebbles and the backpack. But what would be a tip that you'd give people about your physical health that's kept you going um, so that you are looking after your own health as we all get a little grayer and a little ch chubbier? You know, I, I'm blessed. I have a great Ranger buddy, Marty Martinez, and he's the one that told me this message. And I'm going to share his message because that's what I do. And it's rest. Um, you got to read. Kids got to keep on learning. You got to exercise to keep your, you know, your physical health. You got to sleep because that's one thing that we all struggle with. And then you got to keep thinking. Um, what before I circled back and was able to get back into Marty's life and we um, reconnect. I stopped reading. I stopped learning. And what I was doing was I was just present. I was just there going through the motions. And when I met Marty back again, you know, reconnected with him, I was, he was able to turn that light back on that passion say, Hey James, here's a book, you know, on our show, every person that comes on a show, he makes me read the book. And the reason why he makes me read the book at first, I say, like, don't be a jerk, man. Why are you going to make me read this book? I don't need to read this book. He said, no, you need to read this book because you're, you have stopped learning. You stop being present. You stop taking action. And he said, I said, Marty, no, you're just smarter than I am. He said, he said, no, I'm not smarter than you. He said, let me ask you a question, a sport question. Who won, you know, who was number 23 on the Chicago Bulls and, and play? I said, Michael Jordan. He said, exactly. See, that's your, that's what you have focused your life in on. You've played PlayStation. You've watched Netflix. You've, you've got that useless knowledge in your head. He said, I'm just trying to give you knowledge that's going to actually get you paid and right. actually make you happy, make you keep learning. Yeah, no, I cannot agree more. And uh, I, I re rarely enjoy sitting down to watch a film, if this is a good movie. Uh, but what I will happily do is uh, read a bit. Uh, it takes me a little bit more time. I can read. Um, it just, it's just a bit of a struggle. Um, but I will be listening to audiobooks. And in, I think, the last three years, I've listened to over 200 audiobooks on leadership, biographies from Malcolm X to Churchill, um, and, and podcasts, and things like that. And I learned so much. Um, even as I approach 60 now, I'm, I'm not, I'm accelerating my learning rather than letting it decline because all leaders are readers, but not all readers are leaders. And I think yes. to, to continue to learn and grow and learn from others is key. On to emotional intelligence. You know, you've got a way of connecting with people. Um, and it's a, it's a lovely way you have to engage. What would be a top tip you'd give about you know, using your emotions intelligently to connect with people on a personal and social level? Well, first I would say, take a tactical pause, 
before you make an emotional decision. A lot of times, you know, we, we it's kind of like when we were in the military, that first report was typically, not, you know, 80% of the time wrong. It wasn't correct. So I would say take a tactical pause, listen more than, than speaking, you know, speak. Bottom line is, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We are designed to listen more than we actually speak. So what happens is, you know, I, I get into the same situation and I'm using, you know, my relationships with my daughters, my wife, you know, we'll get in a disagreement with them and, or we'll get into a discussion. I'll call it a discussion. But what happens is I try to persuade them with my mouth instead of persuade them by listening. You persuade people more by listening than you do uh, by speaking. And the reason why I say that is everybody wants to be heard. You know, we talked about it earlier. That's part of our story brand uh, thing that we do for business. And what you got to be do, what you got to do is you got to clarify your message, be clear. So people will actually listen. So if you listen more, I don't know if you read the book, I think even on uh, Marty's episode, he mentioned it. Chris Voss, uh, never split the difference. I have you read, read that. Yet. No, I'm going to read that book. That book is amazing. You know, a former FBI agent, uh, he's got an agency called the black Swan that, that tells you that everything in life is a negotiation. And he, this is an amazing book. And the reason why it's an amazing book is if you think about it, we, we all try to push our will, our views onto someone when actually all we got to do is listen to what they say, asking, ask open-ended questions, and then ultimately, you know, get to know first, right? You actually know is really where the, where the, negotiation starts when you get to yes, that doesn't mean anything. You know, you think about your two, my, I think about my five-year-old daughter and I'm negotiating with her because every day with her is a negotiation. Do this. And she'll say yes. But what kind of yes was it? It was just yes to get me to be quiet. Right. So I actually listen for her to say no to me when she says no, then we're actually communicating. Do you want this to drink? Do you want this to eat? If she says no, we're actually communicating when she says I don't know, or yes, we're not communicating. I'm basically trying to persuade her and push my will upon her. But anyway, yeah, read that book, Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference. I, I will. That was brilliant. On to the next one. Thank you for that. CQ, uh, cultural intelligence quotient. So we've talked about the Korean-American uh, cultural upbringing, that sort of melting pot of different uh, cultures and languages. Um, but but what would be a tip you'd give about understanding people who are different from you, from different backgrounds, different cultures? I'm going to say a word and, and everybody's going to go, oh, but empathy. You have to have empathy for the individual you're trying to, to speak with. Now, here's the key, though, and here's the struggle. You can't have empathy for everyone because you really, truly can't know how they're living unless you are them. For example, no one can tell me how it is to live a half Korean, half half Caucasian life, except a fellow half Korean, half Caucasian person. So you need to try to have empathy with someone first, if you can, but then you just got to really listen and understand their point of view and what they're really trying to communicate with you. What happens is we don't communicate. And I learned this with my soldiers. I learned this with my past relationships. If you don't have a have communication, you don't have a relationship. So First, communicate, listen to both sides, then come up with a something that you both can agree upon. Uh, and then at the end of the day, we're not all supposed to be the same. That's not why we were designed. 
We're supposed to be different. And those differences are what actually make us stronger. Um, you know. you, you've seen it time and time again where you are there. You know, it's, it's those differences that actually help us and make us stronger. I mean, yeah, I hope I, I answered that question. <laughs> you did. And learning to see other people's perspective. I think of that film uh, and the show, the Broadway show, Miss Saigon. Did you ever get to see that? I watched the movie. Isn't there a book on that too, though? I think so. I think they. Uh, yeah, I did see that. I did. I did watch that. Yeah, and and again, that was just understanding people from a different background and a different culture, and how the the two clashed together and the confusion that went on with it. Um, That's so, actually a great. That that is a good uh, analogy there. I was thinking more about Mulan because I have Disney. I'm a Disney dad. I was thinking yeah. more like Mulan and no. seeing her reflection in the <laughs> in the mirror and or in yeah. the water. But anyway, your your yeah. yours is way yeah. better. But but uh, but but watch the watch the show if you can, Miss Saigon, or or a, or a video of it or something like that. I could play with um, resilience quotient RQ. Um, you know, doing something like eighty second airborne and ranger requires immense immense resilience against adversity. Just they're constantly trying to break you and see who can survive and get through it. What would be your top tip on resilience, James? For me, I would say you don't be your own worst enemy. And the reason why I say that is you got to be laser focused. When you when you put your mind to something, go do it, you know, and and it's more about the action. You know, Marty and I always say uh, deeds, not words. You know, words are important. Yes. But the action, the deed, the actual intent, putting things into motion is really what it's about. The reason why, um, you know, I was blessed and able to do those, you know, the schools or that in the military was I convinced myself mentally every day. Cause every day you got to convince yourself again. It's not, it's not a, Hey, I'm going to convince myself and this is going to last for six months. No, this is a daily self-reflection on your mindset and get your, your mind clear and saying, I can do this. I can do this. I will do this. I'm going to do this. And then you got to actually, look into the future and see what your life is going to be like when you do it. Um, so that's how I've always done it. And then ultimately, if you're desperate, then you look to your left and right and say, if that knuckle here there can do it, then I can do this. And that, that's really, you know, a lot of us revert back to those on some of those days. <laughs> yeah, no, very good. I, I agree with that. When I looked around, I thought, well, if he's still going, I'm going to keep going. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember how they used to love abusing the officers. I was doing the airborne training to get my maroon berry with the uh, the airborne parachute forces. And uh, uh, the officers were always sent to get the guys who were slowest at the back. So there was young um, Gunner Jenkins. I'll never forget Gunner Jenkins, a little, <laughs> little, little guy. And, and he was struggling with his 60 pound pack and the corporal was running along and he hated officers. And he went, carry his pack, sir. And I went, but staff, I've called them staff. It's a sign of respect. I've already got my own pack. He said, you didn't hear me. I said, carry his pack too. And I went, right stuff. I said, Jenkins, give me your pack. And I, well, I couldn't put it behind me because that was full. So I put my arms through and in front of me, I had his pack. And of course, Jenkins was like a rabbit and he was off running to catch up with the squad. Uh, we was down Long Valley, this muddy tank track, sort of squelchy, boggy thing up to my knees in mud. And he goes, <laughs> so you might as well give up then, sir, and get on the get on the Land Rover and just jack in, you know, just quit. 
I went, no, no staff. I think I can keep going. And I was just like, I was walking like a waddling duck. I could hardly move. And I can mud, picture it. <laughs> the mud was squelching. And he goes, you're not going to make it. Just give up. Just accept you're a wimp. You're a weed. You're not going to make it. No staff. I can keep doing. So I kept going for about, it seemed like an hour. I think it was 10 minutes, but I kept going. And he went, oh, fuck it. He said, hey, Jenkins, come back here. Pick up your pack. Because he, he hadn't broken me. And he, he wanted to break me. And then, of course, I could slowly get back up with the pack. But, of course, they did that lovely trick where you get you're running towards the barrack front gate and the barriers lifted up and you go, ha, ah, the shower, we're here. And he went, I think we'll go and do it again. Another 10 miler. Out you go. Turn around. And, of course, at that stage, about five or six guys out of the squad of 80 just gave up and got on the land road and said, that's it. I'm not doing anymore. But we carried on going. But we only went for a mile. But it, it that was really frying our brains. Because he goes, but guys, the enemy don't go, oh, do you know what? You look tired. Let's stop attacking you. Have tea. You know, the British, you have it's four o'clock afternoon tea. The enemy won't attack you anymore. They don't do that, do they? I love that. Um, brand, brand coition. Um, we, we haven't got much time, so I'll just quickly whiz through these ones. Um, you talked about always doing self-assessments. How do you get self-assessments now you're doing the job you're doing? What? Who tells you, who gives you feedback now? What do you listen to? Well, the beauty of it is you're married too. You, my number one feedback comes from my wife, right? She, <laughs> anything that I do, I always bounce off of her, say, hey, how does this look? That's the first person. And then honestly, it's so, it, that's the power of a ranger buddy. You know, that's the power of a team. Marty and I are not going at this alone. You know, we're, we're going at this together. So it's like, hey, does this make sense? Yes, but you always got to have a different perspective. You always got to get that, you know, third set of eyes on something. Um, but as far as my, you know, with myself, I honestly, and I taught, I teach this when I was teaching, um, I taught OCS and uh, ROTC. Uh, I was an APMS professor of military science for ROTC. And I would teach my cadets this. You stand in front of the mirror every day. Look at your mirror. And I want you to say this. I want you to say something positive about yourself first, <laughs> Right. So I would go up and go, you look great. You look amazing, right? Because that might be, and, and I tell them, because that might be the only positive thing you hear today. <laughs> and then I would say, you know what? The next thing is you got to take those small little, small bites. Okay, what's the next thing? What's the one thing that you're going to accomplish this week or the, today, today, while you're looking in this mirror? And, they, and then say what that's going to be. And then ultimately say, am I doing my best? You know, I know we're, we were going to, and we mentioned this earlier, uh, before we were actually uh, on the show, but you know, that's why I think the four agreements is a perfect, you know, book to, to read as well. You know, you get, just do your best, but you got to set the conditions first. You got to speak it into existence. So go in front of that mirror, speak it into existence, make it happen. Well, that's a, that's a lovely way of you talking about, I was going to ask you the, uh, the your favorite book and you told me it was the, the four agreements. Uh, what just join us, tell people listening what the four agreements are. So the four agreements is by Don Miguel Ruiz. And the first agreement is be impeccable with your word. And, you know, that's like speak with integrity, say only what you mean and avoid using the uh, words to speak against yourself. You know, words matter, words deceive, you know, be the ER in the word, you know, make it better, brighter, you know, smarter, you know, you be the ER in the word and you're better off. Uh, the second agreement is don't take anything personally. We all do this, right? Uh, don't take things personal. Nothing others do is really probably because of you. 
It's because they're dealing with their own situation in their life. They're dealing with their own personal struggles, their own uh, own demons. And not everybody's reality is the same as your reality. And then the third agreement is uh, don't make assumptions. Uh, what you know what happens when you assume it makes it you know what out of you and me right yep. <laughs> if you look at the word itself you know find the courage to ask the questions and express what you really want mm-hmm. um, that's you know that's what that's about uh, don't um, my wife would tell me that I'm passive aggressive sometimes when it comes to negotiation I passively push, push back instead of just saying no <laughs> she said say no so many, if you don't have the time to do something say no don't try to skirt around it just be direct be deliberate and be gone. You know, there's three B's that I live by. Be brilliant, be brief, be gone, right? That's what you're supposed to do on briefings. But, uh, and then the fourth, of the fourth agreement, I can't leave that one out, is always do your best. You know, your best though, you got to remember, is going to change in the moment that you're in. You know, my best now, you know, is not going to be, I'm not going to go out here and be able to bench 225 for, for uh, two, uh, you know, t- uh, four sets of 12, you know, right now I'll probably be able to bench 45 pounds, you know, so, mm-hmm. but do the best that you can under any circumstance. And like I said, that that's always going to change. Brilliant. Well, look, we, we've come to the end of our, our fascinating conversation. We could have chatted for another couple of hours, but before we go, I'd love you to introduce yourself again, James, uh, tell people what you're doing, because this is a standalone two minute top tip. Uh, of uh, some good leadership wisdom that you're going to go. So over to you, James, would you give us your two minute top tip with an introduction? Absolutely. Hi, I'm James Feltz, Spartan Six. I'm a Christian, a husband, a father, a son, a mentor, and a story guide. I'm the chief operating officer of Joint Task Force 214 and a co-host of Lounge with Legends. I'm humbled and honored to be here. I would tell you the top tip is every day you need to go get on Jonathan Bowman Perks podcast and you need to read the top tip of the day if you want to make a difference in your life that's the tip the 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 knowledge and information is already out here for you to thrive and survive all you got to do is read his top tip tips of golden nuggets they're in gold and white read that every day and i promise you that will change your life it's changed mine oh james you're a good man and and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and experience with um about 185,000 people who listen to this in 55 countries they'll be enjoying it And I I really appreciate the contribution that you made. And I know people out there who are in the United States will be very grateful to you as their veterans making that transition into business and be able to learn from you and the journey that you've taken. So thank you. It was a real honor having you on the series. Thank you, sir. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.